Amen. Thank you, choir. So good that those are those are actually the choir's voices. That's not piped in. That is our choir, and so we look forward to when they can sing up here and be in person. But we're thankful for their work and for Mark's work to do that. Uh, we're thankful for that. If you would, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, turn in your Bibles or in your or in your devices to Matthew chapter twenty-eight. Uh, the Matthew's version or Matthew's a recording of the resurrection. So if you would turn there uh, as we celebrate together, I, I just <clears throat> am excited because last Easter, a year ago, I got to see your faces, but they were pictures taped on the pews. And what a great gift that was to us. But I'm telling you, it is much better seeing you in person uh, and seeing you all at home and those in the fellowship hall. We're glad that you all are here and uh, glad to celebrate the resurrected Lord together. Let us just read this together uh, and I will begin in verse 1 of Matthew 28. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he is risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear, great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then Jesus met them and said, greetings. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus told them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. And they were on their way. Some of the guards came to the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. After the priests had assembled with the elders and agreed on a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money and told them, Say this, his disciples came during the night and stole, them, stole him while, they were sleeping, while we were sleeping. If this reaches the governor's ears, we will deal with him and keep you out of trouble. They took the money and did as they were instructed. And the story has been spread among Jewish people to this day. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you to the end of the age. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this account given to us by Matthew. We thank you that you have inspired and given us this perfect account so that we may gaze on the wonder of the resurrection and that we may worship just as those women did that day. That we may worship you in spirit and truth and that today we would gaze on the glory of God. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. This past week, my brother and his family went to the Grand Canyon, and it was, it was great. I got a bunch of 
selfies and pictures and videos of, of them uh, seeing the Grand Canyon and experiencing the Grand Canyon. And you know, as much as I enjoyed seeing the smiles on my niece and nephew's faces, it was not like being there in person. As much as I was in awe of what they were showing me, it's not like seeing it myself. It's just like receiving a postcard from someone who's been to the beach. They usually send you on a picture of the sunrise or sunset or the ocean view, and you see this wonderful picture, but it's certainly no replacement from having an ocean view place and opening the doors and windows and seeing that for yourself and being in awe of the infinite vastness of the ocean. There's many things and many times and many forms and things that we spend money on to, to recreate or, or have that sense of awe and wonder. We, we spend 50 to $100 on glossy photographed albums of, of famous photographers that we sit on our coffee table that we will thumb through and see and look at this, look at the Himalayas and look at the Grand Canyon and look, look at these pictures. We see drone video on YouTube of, of flybys and famous footage of the Grand Canyon or mountaintops. We now have virtual reality goggles where we can immerse ourselves and experience uh, these things for ourselves. But in the same way, it's not the same as experiencing those things for ourselves. And in the same way that God created us to worship him, we have been filled our lives with so many cheap imitations, valuing those things instead of his glory. We've had the ability to, to look around and experience wonder, but brothers and sisters, the thing that we can glorify God, that we can experience in a sense of awe and wonder if we look at the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus. There's nothing like it. And as we see this work of Jesus on the cross and ultimately his resurrection, we see the glory of God on display. Matthew's gospel, he lays out the evidences and result of Jesus' resurrection. And if it is true... And if it is real that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, as it says in verse 6, if it is true that in verse 18 he has all authority on heaven and earth given to him, if it is true that, that he will be with his disciples to the ends of the age, as it says in verse 20, then there is nothing more crucial or more vital for us today than for us to trust and put our faith in the resurrected Lord today. And if this is true then, brothers and sisters, let us go and gaze in the beauty and the glory of God in the resurrected Jesus Christ. That we see something that is more powerful, more grand than the Grand Canyon, more majestic than the Himalayas, more infinite than the oceans, that this Christ has been risen from the grave and that in this, we see his power. We see and feel his kindness. And we know that his purpose is on display. As we see this, we are just like those women that day. We are drawn to worship the resurrected Christ.
So if you would, if you're taking notes in your phone or you're writing some notes, number one is this. The resurrection reveals the power of Jesus. The resurrection reveals the power of Jesus. Now notice in verse 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is a bold statement that Jesus is saying he has authority over everything on heaven and earth and under the earth. How has Jesus been given this? Well, we see throughout scriptures the reason Jesus has been given this authority, that he died on the cross for our sins, that in our place he has taken the wrath for us, that he was obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. He defeated Satan's schemes. He defeated death. And at his command, he has been raised to life. And now he has been seated at the right hand. This is not just some random side. He is on the the right hand of God. He is in the authority seat of God, proclaiming and ruling over all things. 1 Peter 3.22 says, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. This is Jesus. Jesus has authority over all things. And we see this in a glimpse at the resurrected tomb when the angels come and they show up and they open the tomb. We see that it is an earthquake and that, that the, the angel comes and he says, a flash as lightning and white as snow. We see that even the angels bow the knee to Jesus. We see that he is controlling even them. Now, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I don't know what you know or how you picture angels. When I was growing up, that I saw precious moments with their cute little chubby cheeks and their little diapers and how cute they are and you might picture that same thing somebody some little cute angel well friends look at the scripture you cannot see that picture here these are warriors who are as bright as lightning these are are people who who Jesus himself will come with all authority to take back those who are his and to, to bring forth judgment on the world. As he proclaimed in Matthew chapter 24, verse 30 through 31, he says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds and from one end of the sky to the other. Brothers and sisters, this resurrected Lord, this resurrection Easter, this is our witness to the world that the risen Christ is your king and the one who has authority over all of our life. In any way that we do not bow down and worship and bow down to him, you commit high treason to the Christ the King who is God over all. Easter's God's open declaration that he lays claim on every person, tribe, and nation with authority. Easter is the claim that the risen Christ on every life that breathes, all authority on earth is mine. So brothers and sisters, he has authority over your business. He has authority 
over your career. He has authority over your family. He has authority over your children. Your vacation is his. Your body is his. Your sex life is his. He is God. And we must understand that his authority has now been placed over all things because he came out of the grave. And he sits at the right hand of God. John Piper observes this. So he says, if you resist his claim, feel no admiration for his infinite power and authority, and turn finally to seek satisfaction from thrills that allow you to be your own master, then you will be executed for treason in the last day. And it will appear so reasonable and so right that you should be executed for your disloyalty to your maker and redeemer, that there will be no appeals and no objections. Brothers and sisters, your life of indifference to the risen Christ and of half-hearted attention to him, maybe even today at Easter, or to a few of his commands, will appear on that last day as supremely blameworthy and infinitely foolish that you will remember reading this text and weep that you did not change. This is not an authority or a person to be celebrated only twice a year and then slink away to our, the own kingdoms that we have built for ourselves. This is not a king that we should only give one hour of one day of part of the week. No, this is a king who owns it all. Every hour of every day is his. And all authority has been given to him as king for all day, every day, of every day of our lives. He is Lord because he lives. And number two, we see that he's authority, but he's also good. The resurrection shows the kindness of Jesus. The kindness of Christ is shown in the way that the disciples are treated. You notice here in verse 5, several times that the angel and Jesus says, do not be afraid. Verse 5, don't be afraid. But in verse 8, it says, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear. And Jesus meets them. And how does he greet them? Or how does he say? Well, he says, greetings. What that really means in the original language is rejoice. He repeats this, do not be afraid. Oh, why do you think the women were afraid that day? Now, it could be several different reasons, right? They just saw an angel, and you don't see that every day. And it was not the chubby kind that everybody thought was cute. It was the one that struck fear to even the soldiers were in fear. They had seen that the Lord had, is gone. The body that they had coming to prepare was gone and that Jesus was now resurrected and that he has authority over all things, that what he said was true. And as they, they go away, maybe of all the things that they could have been fearful about was if Jesus has been given authority in all things, how is he going to treat the ones who were supposed to be as close to him and loyal to him and they were found missing? They weren't there at the trial. They weren't there at the cross. They had slunk away and hid. And maybe they were wondering, how is Jesus 
going to treat me? How is Jesus going to react to me? But here's the good news. Jesus responds kindly. Rejoice. Don't be afraid. I've gone to the cross for you. Just as Isaiah says. He says, I have, uh, but he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, and punishment for our peace was on him, but by his wounds we are healed. Who among us has slunk away at neglecting authority of Jesus? Who among us has not deserted Savior in our hour of testing. Jesus says, do not despair. I have died for you. I have forgiven you. I meet you with grace. I meet you with love. If you go and come to Jesus with repentance and forgiveness, you, he will meet you with these words. Rejoice. Do not be afraid. And if it wasn't evidence enough of his kindness, Matthew leaves us with his last words to us, the last sentence of this gospel. And remember, I am with you always to the ends of the age. Oh, what a good, kind Savior. I encourage every Christian to read Christian biographies and autobiographies because just as the scripture says, there's a great cloud of witnesses of people who have, who have fought the good fight and have trusted in Jesus that encourage us on and encourage us to faithfully follow Jesus. And in John Patton, the famous missionary uh, to the New Hebrides Islands, in his autobiography, he was there in the early 1800s and served in Tana for four years. He resisted and fought and escaped death time after time after time again. And one time he says in his autobiography that over 1,500 natives were after him with spears and machetes chasing him and, and his cohort through the jungle and through the forest. And then they ran and ran until they couldn't hardly run anymore till his friend turned to him and said, John, climb this tree, hide yourself, I will run and divert them away and may God spare you. And that's what happened. He climbed in the trees and hid there while his, his friend ran off and not knowing what would happen. And, and he says that in the moments that he understood as those killers went under the tree and, and did not find him there. And later on, thousands upon thousands of people from New Hebrides came to faith because of his work. He says this, that he I would go back to that tree any day and I could enjoy the same sweet, precious fulfillment of Jesus' promise. I will be with you to the end of the age. Boy, what a promise. And this is the promise that we have as believers when we faithfully stand for God and that we live for him, that he will be with us 
when we face suffering and trial, we know this promise because he has rose again that he is with us. We know that when we give our lives to go tell the nations and the world about Jesus, that he is with us. When we risk our lives, we are never left without Jesus. And Patton finishes this section of his autobiography that says, do you have a friend like this? To which we say, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. That he is alive and that he is with us. Christ, because he is alive, is with those who have trusted him as Lord. Those who are walking through cancer, he is walking with us. With those who are going through heartbreak, he is with us to the end. Those who are through going through disappointments, he is with us. He is walking with those who are walking through pandemics. What a friend we have in Jesus. And only in Christianity do we have a Savior who has suffered. Only in Christianity do we have a Savior who promises to go through suffering with us. Oh, what a friend that we have. But more importantly, we have a friend who went through death for us and came out on the other side for he is alive. Praise God. Our Savior lives and he is with us to the end of the age. And number three, the resurrection displays the purpose of Jesus. The purpose of Jesus. How many people do you point to say, but they were laser focused on their purpose. They gave their life to one specific goal. You you might tell the tale of specific sports heroes that gave their lives to be the best at their craft or or maybe a a musician that that honed their skills in such a way to be the best in what they do or maybe a CEO or someone who has taken a company uh, to the greatest and uttermost from something they created. They, They were laser focused and people remember them and applaud them. But brothers and sisters, there is none that we can truly see unlike Jesus Christ who gave himself for one purpose. And in verse 19, Jesus Christ died for us, for our sins, came out of the grave so that we may be empowered to verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything Jesus commanded us. See, the purpose of the risen Christ is to empower his church to make his authority known on every person in every culture of the earth. If he wouldn't have said, I'm with you always, if it wasn't for the, his mission was our business. Wherever people bow the knee to Christ through our witness, it is him working through us. So therefore, this same grace, same truth, this This gospel of Jesus who died for us that we put our faith and trust in him. We will not perish but have eternal life. This truth rings true to people in Argentina and Libya and Uganda and Ecuador and Philippines and Japan and Egypt and Brazil and in Boone County. This great gospel truth is true because he lives. Paul writes Ephesians 2.17 
He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. When Paul wrote that, he was saying to those the Gentiles were far away. They were far away from the truth about God and far away the truth about Jesus. Those of you who are near, he's talking about the Jews who were, who were raised about the truths of the scripture of gospel, the resurrected Messiah who was to come and didn't see Jesus. But he says that he has came and proclaimed people. Well, do we have written evidence that Jesus showed up and formed churches in Asia Minor and Ephesus? No. Well, when did Christ do that? When did that happen? It was when Christians took the gospel into Asia Minor, into Ephesus, and proclaimed it. The good news of Jesus was proclaimed through his followers because he is alive. He's saying that when anyone preaches the word, the gospel to you, when you read the gospel, it is Jesus speaking to you. And Jesus has come so that those far from him can respond in faith and repentance and be saved. That we know that his glories and grow in grace and holiness, that we can go to follow him and share his good news, rescuing those who are far from him and we like we were. This is because he lives. This is only because he lives. There's no way that this purpose can be done without a risen Savior. There are so many who doubt in this event. That section in verse 11 through 15, we see that the tale of oldest time is people have been saying lies about who Jesus is and have been doubting that he is a risen Savior. And we could go through the numerous evidences of the resurrection of Jesus. We could talk about about who, those 500 people who have seen him, talked him, touched him, and would go to their death to say that he is resurrected and I saw him. We could talk about that this gospel was written only 30 years past the, the death of Jesus. And so when this gospel was released and, and circulated, there was people, if they would have said, hey, this was false, those people could have stepped up, but they didn't. They didn't put it down because they knew it was true. We could talk about that it was women who were the first witnesses to the resurrection that day. Because we know that in that day, women could not stand as witnesses in a trial. So if the disciples were going to make something up, boy, did they, they start the wrong way. Did they write kind of a really bad narrative? If women were the first witnesses, why did they record it? Because it was true. So we could go through a lot of things. But how do we know and how are we sure that the resurrection is real? It is only because the work of the Holy Spirit shows you that it's real. That you see through the power of Christ that he is alive. And that if you come to know the resurrected Christ, you will submit to him as king. You will be overwhelmed by his kindness You'll be willing to go to the ends of the earth to talk to others about him. And so today, as we gaze into the empty tomb, I, I pray that you would, God in faith, that you would trust Jesus, the resurrected Lord, and that you would place your, your life into his hands, that you would repent and believe and make him king of your life. 
And if you have trusted Jesus, I pray that you would quit looking in wonderment and fulfillment and awe in this world. And instead, gaze into the empty tomb and to the glory of God of the resurrected Christ. Look unto him. Look unto him, the one who is alive. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this account and this truth of your son who was, yes, obedient to the point of death, but yes, he is risen. And God, may anyone who is here or online or downstairs or in the sound of my voice see the truth of the resurrected Lord and trust him. And God, I pray this morning that those of us who are followers, that we would quit playing games with Christ and that we would seek his wonder and fulfillment and joy that comes in following him. I pray, God, today that we would experience and see the glory of God in the resurrected Savior. Lord, we come to you in awe and wonder and pray in your son's precious name, Jesus. Amen.